I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-Minute Parenting series. Welcome to 15-Minute Parenting, the podcast where you will learn ways to parent through play. Play is more than blowing bubbles. It is fundamental to your child's development and is the foundation of your relationship with your child. Each episode is 15 minutes long and will cover a different parenting topic. We will start with common scenarios we are all familiar with, from supermarket tantrums to screen time meltdowns. I will share some theory on the topic and end with practical play activities that will help you parent through these issues using my 15-minute parenting model. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. I met with parents who had experienced a bereavement in their family. The father of one of them had died and they came to me because they were really concerned about how their young child was coping and managing with this loss. They noticed that she was looking for her granddad, that she kept asking them to go get him, bring him back, that she wanted to locate him. She wondered where he was, what he was doing, and when he would be done with that and back to them, and what was everybody doing about it. They were concerned now at this stage. It had been nearly three months since her granddad had died, and her questions far from decreasing were actually increasing and they were struggling with how can they best support her to manage this loss her granddad had been a really important person in her life so after meeting with them i asked them to bring their little girl in they stayed for a few minutes and then they stepped outside so that i could speak with her alone and as i i would do with children when i first meet them i let her know what i did know i said your mom and dad told me that you were struggling with the loss of your granddad and you were wondering what was going on and where he was is that something you want to talk about and something changed in her face in that moment and she went from being quite relaxed looking to absolutely enraged and she folded her arms slumped back in the chair and stamped her foot off the ground and said well how would you feel if you were lost and nobody was looking for you and I said gosh I wouldn't like that at all can you tell me a little bit more about that and she went on to tell me as she understood it that her granddad was lost and it was absolutely overwhelming her as to why nobody was out there looking for him she said we my mum and dad told me that we've lost granddad and I think he must be so scared to be on his own and why is nobody looking for him and I just want to go and find him and in that moment I realized what had happened in their use of language they had told her that they'd lost granddad. She took them in accordance with her stage of development in very concrete, literal terms. And in her mind, if you lost somebody or if somebody has gotten lost, the logical thing you do is go find them. And the fact that you wouldn't was, of course, understandably driving her nuts. So I said, oh, I think I know what's happened here and I think I have the answer. Can we bring mom and dad back in? She agreed and we did. And I explained to them in front of her how she had understood what happened. Her mum turned to her and said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry we've confused you. Grandad isn't lost. Grandad is dead. And there was a pause in the room for all of us. And then this little girl put her hands over her face and she said, oh no, that's so, so sad. I really, really miss him. But in that moment, she realized dead meant he wasn't lost and he wasn't going to be coming back. 
we have to be aware of what we are saying as well as how we are saying it when we're talking about these difficult topics such as death because in our attempt to make it easier for our children to hear the difficult news, we can actually dilute what we're saying and begin to use that ambivalent language such as he's lost, he's passed, he's not with us. That kind of language is too vague for children. And while we are absolutely motivated consciously by wanting to make this palatable and easier for them, what's behind that is also our discomfort with being able to talk about something that's really painful. Because when we say your granddad has died, we are also saying for one of us, our parent has died. And that's painful and that's difficult. So I think it does come from a well-intentioned place, but I also think it is our discomfort in talking about these difficult topics that causes us to make it that vague, inaccessible, confusing experience for a child. Children, young children in particular, are very concrete and literal and they require concrete and literal language to help them to understand and work out even these difficult concepts. Death is a developmental phase for children, and I mean that in terms of how they understand and grow in their understanding about it. It's very normal for a a child aged between four and six years old to become quite fascinated with the theme of death, even if they haven't been directly affected or impacted by death. It's simply something they go through, and I get asked a lot of questions about this. My four, five, six-year-old is always asking about death or ruminating at night. Is this a sign of something wrong? It actually isn't. It's developmentally normal. So by the age of four, we do see that children have some grasp of the finality of death. But that being said, they will ask more and more questions. So when you say to them that somebody has died, they may accept it in that moment and go, okay, they'll mull it over, maybe for the day, maybe for a few days. And then don't be surprised if they come back to you and ask the exact same question in the exact same way if only to test is the answer the same. Because while they grasp the finality, the permanence is a little bit fudgy that they just want to know, are they still dead or were they dead for a couple of days? That again is quite normal for a child that age. Between the age of six and nine years old, we see that this understanding has further developed. They have a clearer grasp of the concept of death and an increased focus on the physical and biological aspects. You might get questions like, what happens after you die? What happens to your body? And depending on your family belief system, what happens to your soul? They may even go a step further into, do doctors cut you open when you die? Do they take your organs out? Where do they go? What happens then? And it can seem like they're really into the goriness of it. And that in itself can be quite worrying for parents. But again, developmentally, it is normal. Also hold in mind, though, that between the ages of six and nine, they still have that magical, omnipotent thinking. They may hold on to, well, I wished it. You know, if children get really angry with someone, I hope you die, they may feel if they wished it, they made it so. And the converse of that is they'll think, if I unwish it, I can make it so. So you may have, and I certainly have experienced this myself in my own clinical work, a child who says, but I wished for this person to come back, or I asked Santa to bring 
my granny back to me and he didn't do it and they can be really shocked and disappointed and that that lack of wish fulfillment for them can almost be as upsetting as the first loss because they're grappling with their lack of control over this and they haven't fully internalized what that's about by nine years old they do seem to grasp death more like an adult does and they really do understand that it is irreversible but they can still think at that age of nine that it's something that only happens to others and won't affect them or the people they love over nine years old and particularly between nine and 12 years old their awareness is continuing to mature they get it and they get that it can happen to their loved ones again we see a further increase in the biological aspects they want to know what happens after death to the deceased but they also want to know what happens after death to those who are left behind children are quite egocentric in their development so in wondering about those who are left behind what they really mean is what about me? How is this going to affect me? What is going to change in my life? And very often that's the reassurance that they're seeking from you. How is this going to change or moreover not change my life? It would be quite normal for them to ask you a question and just wonder, well, what would happen to me if you died? And of course, as a parent, our instinct is to jump in and reassure them and say something like, oh, you know, we're not going to die as your parents. We're, we're going to be here for you and we're all going to grow up and old together. But actually, that's a very dangerous thing to promise, because with the best will in the world, we cannot know that we will always be there. It brings to my mind an example of an 11 year old girl who came to see me because she was struggling to adjust to the loss of her father. Her father had died very unexpectedly and she had no preparation time. He went out the door one morning and that was the last time she saw him. Her demand and question of her mother was, what is going to happen to me and my siblings if you also die? And her mother, because of course she's grieving too, her drive was to reassure, I'm not going to die. No, no, you'll always have me. And this child's point was, well, I believe that to be true of my father, and that's not true. So just tell me what's going to happen to us when you die. And isn't that a very understandable need? A need to understand where will we live? Who will we live with? Who's going to take care of us if you're not here? The key in answering these questions, and they do need to be answered, is to use clear, unambiguous language and focus on answering the question that has been asked. Just because a child asks a question like, where will I live if you die? This doesn't mean deep breath, here's the big conversation about death, I'm going to flood them with all the detail I've planned and prepared ahead of time. It means tuning into that actual question and answering it. Perhaps that's enough and it certainly might be enough detail for now. If they have further questions or wonderings, they will come to you. So basically be led by your child in terms of how you focus this conversation. Let's play about this, and I know it sounds a bit strange to play about death, but I really do mean that you can play your way through this. When there has been a death in your family and children are left with all of the things that they would like to say, I just want to see the person I've lost one more time, I want to ask them a question. One of the things that I have found really useful as a clinical tool and that I believe you could use at home in your family is to role play out phone calls. 
we make a phone or we fashion something into a phone you can actually take this a step further and get some tin cans or styrofoam cups make a hole and put a piece of string and stand away from each other so that you can speak and then hold the other can up to your ear and hear each other and have a phone call with the person who's gone what is it you would like to say and now play out saying it to them so you get to hear your own words reflected back to you You could sit with your child and help them to write a letter or draw a picture to the person who has died. You could sit and make a memory board together. That would simply involve getting a cork board and cutting out photos or pictures that remind them of that person and building a collage together on of a memory board. Another technique that I like is a balloon release technique. You could mix some of what I've said into this one by taking the letter or the picture that's drawn, fold it up small, roll up the piece of paper and help them to push it into a deflated balloon. Once the piece of paper is inside, blow up the balloon and tie a knot and bring it somewhere that they can release it and let it blow away and imagine that they are sending that message to the person who has died. You can also make a legacy box or a poster, again, that encapsulates lots of memories of the person, things that reflect shared experiences and just basically little memories that can sit in a box so that it's not always on display but is something your child can reach for or seek out themselves when they feel like they want to feel close to that lost person that dead person again another way to go about this is to practice how you speak about death and introduce the concept and language early and often what i mean by this is if a plant such as one in your house or if you're out and about and you see a flower has died that you point out to your child and say oh look this plant has died this flower has died we need to put it in the compost and you're explaining to them that when something is dead it's dead and it isn't coming back equally and you'll have lots of opportunity for this in seasons when leaves are dying and falling from the trees when you see insects lying on the ground and they're dead that you simply point out don't labor it just point out and say this has died This shows us that the plant has died and we move on. Animals are another way that children experience death and is very often for them their first experience with loss and death. It might be a family pet and this is something that you can practice language and ceremony with. Be that when you're burying the family pet that you involve your child, they stand around, they share memories and you talk about those memories warmly and together. Our children take their cues from us in how they process anything, including loss and death. So stay connected and engaged in how you invite the processing of loss with and for them. And what that comes down to, because play is the language of children, is that you are creative and playful in how you speak and how you process it, but also that you hold in mind, always use clear, unambiguous language and answer the questions that they are asking of you in the moment. But mind yourself so that you can mind them. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode useful, subscribe, share with a friend, give us a like, all of which helps people find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to come back next week for a new 15-minute parenting episode or check our archives for previous topics. You can find me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune. And between now and then, have fun.